Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Welcome back. And uh, we're going to pick up where we left off the last time in Digital Babylon. We're going to be talking about Glenn Greenwald's book, No Place to Hide. Um, we talked last time about, to illustrate the large quantity of information that the NSA collects, they got 200 million records a day over a 30-day period. They had 6 billion telephone records. Now, this is much more information than they need, but writing algorithms and things that they want, they can use that information. They have supercomputers that can go through these things. It's not like your little HP laptop. These are heavy-duty supercomputers that can go through there and find relationships and things that, that it's just almost impossible to find without a computer. Now, they had another program, the FBI, called Stormbrew, uh, which offers the NSA access to Internet and telephone traffic. So it exploits the facts that 97% of the world's traffic Internet traffic flows through the United States, and that's because we set the whole thing up so naturally. Somebody, you know, hard to believe, somebody in Azerbaijan calls somebody in Turkmenistan. We know about it. You think about that for a minute. Now, there's another program, and this is one we want to, we really need to understand. The program entitled PRISM. It allows the NSA to collect data directly from the servers of the nine biggest Internet companies. The nine biggest Internet companies. They have access to their data. Originally, Yahoo fought this, but again, as I said before, the FISA court, which is a joke, the FISA court is not a control on the NSA. The FISA court is a rubber stamp for the NSA. In one year, of all the thousands of, of FISA requests they get, they only rejected two. So they're, they're, they're there to rubber stamp what's going on. They're yes men. Uh, they're like the Reichstag in Germany. Uh, Hitler wanted to do something. The Reichstag put it on and said, yeah, it's true. So let's go on and look at, at some other things. The New York Times reported on a slew of secret negotiations between the NSA and Silicon Valley about providing the agency with unfettered access to the company's systems. Providing the NSA unfettered access to Apple, Microsoft, Google, Yahoo, who else can you think of out there? They get access to all of their systems. Um, the close collaboration between the NSA and private corporations is perhaps best seen in the documents relating to Microsoft, which reveals the company's vigorous efforts to give NSA access to several of its most used online services, including SkyDrive, which is now OneDrive, Skype, and Outlook.com. Now, I went to Outlook.com uh, before I retired because of its purported uh, uh, secrecy and its secureness. That's the way they advertise it. You're going to see more about that in a minute. We believe it's important that you have control. This is what Microsoft said. We believe it's important that you have control over who 
and who cannot access your personal data in the cloud. That's what Microsoft's website says. We believe it's important that you have control over who can and cannot access your personal data. Yet, as the NSA documents that uh, Edward Snowden revealed, Microsoft spent many months working to provide the government with easier access to that data. In other words, they created a system that you couldn't break, but the government can. It has full access to it. Now, as we go on from there, in late 2011, Microsoft purchased Skype. And um, if you remember Skype, and I, I, I used Skype when I was in business and so forth. I retired uh, in 2014, at the end of 2014, and in 2011, I was using Skype. Microsoft purchased Skype, the internet telephone company, with over 663 million registered users. At the time of the purchase, now get this, Microsoft assured users that Skype is committed to respecting your privacy and the confidentiality of your personal data, traffic, and communications content. In 2013, the NSA celebrated the agency's steadily, steadily improving access to the communication of Skype users. Skype stored communications will contain unique data which is not collected via normal real-time surveillance. That's the NSA's complaint. In other words, Microsoft, you have stuff that people are doing that we don't have access to and we need access to that. Now here's their response. Here's, here's their response uh, to that question. The NSA says we expect to receive buddy lists, credit card information, call data records, and user account information and other material from Microsoft. Okay, so until that time, Prism would not collect Skype data when a user logged in using anything other than the Skype username, which resulted in missing collection. That has now been corrected. So if, if you remember, they had aliases, aliases that you could create. You could log in at, at say, um, billyjoe at skype.com. You could lo use Billy Joe, and then when you got on, you could change your name to say, I'm uh, the Red Rider at Skype.com. It was the same person, but it's a different alias. The NSA didn't have access to, to whoever the Red Rider was. They didn't know. Now, this is what the NSA says. Currently, we can't allow analysts to task these nonprofit email address to PRISM. However, this will be corrected. In the meantime, the NSA, the FBI, and the DOJ coordinated over the last six months to gain approval to send all current and future Microsoft PRISM selectors, and a selector is just a, a, a I'm, I'm selecting you, or I'll select John, or Rick, or Bobby Joe, or Betty Sue, that, that's a selector, it's a one person, to send all current and future Microsoft selectors to Skype. This resulted in 9,800 selectors being sent to Skype, and successful collection has been received. So, in other words, if they want to find you on Skype, they have 9,800 different ways to access that information so they can get what they need from you. Now, in 2012, Microsoft...
began upgrading its email portal, Outlook.com, to merge all of its communications into what the widely used Hotmail into one central program. The company touted the new Outlook by promising high levels of encryption to protect privacy. Okay, That's why I went to Outlook.com. In my opinion at that time, and I did a lot of computer work in those days, in my opinion at that time, this was the safest option that we'd had. The NSA quickly grew concerned that the encryption methods Microsoft offered to Outlook customers would block the agency from spying on their communications. So Microsoft did have a system that the NSA couldn't get to. So, boys and girls, what do you think happened? One memo in August of 2012 frets that using this portal, in other words, using Microsoft's Outlook.com, means that email emerging from it will be encrypted with the default setting and that chat sessions conducted within that portal are also encrypted when both communicants are using Microsoft chat clients. So in other words, if you were on Microsoft and you contacted your sister who's on Microsoft and you opened a Microsoft chat, the NSA couldn't get to that. Well, they didn't like that. What do you think happened? But that worry was short-lived. Within a few months, the two entities go together and devise methods for the NSA to circumvent the very encryption protections Microsoft was publicly advertising as vital for protecting privacy. So in other words, what Microsoft tells you uh, and what Google and all these other companies tell you, if it's concerning privacy, is bogus. Uh, that's why reading privacy, uh, you know, you, you'll get an email every now and then. We've updated. I got one the other day from eBay. It says we've updated our um, privacy. Uh, what I can't even think what they call it now. The privacy document. Who cares? It doesn't matter anyway. Uh, they they'll let in whoever they want to let in, and uh, people that you don't want let in are going to get in. So it doesn't make any difference whether you accept it or you don't accept it. It doesn't have any bearing on what other people can do to you. Um, now, moving on. Microsoft, working with the FBI, developed a surveillance capability to deal with this encryption. So they went to the FBI and gave them access to all their data. It's not the National Security Administration now. It's the FBI. And you'll find out later that the CIA gets involved in this too. In the, CIA, in the CIA's charter, they can't surveil American people. Ah, how long do you think that lasts? Now, these solutions were successfully tested and went live in December of 2012. And this solution was applied to all current FISA and PRISM requirements. So in other words... They got together with Microsoft. They developed a system to get around. And now the FBI has access to all of your data, all your electronic data. Um, there was a situation where some of this electronic data that the FBI used in a New York uh, organized crime uh, uh, a legal hassle in a in a, uh, in a prosecution in New York on a on a um, mob member. They used this data, and the mob 
attorney, sharp, you know, they don't have cheap attorneys, they have sharp attorneys. The mob attorney argued that they didn't have a right to do that, and the court said, oh yeah, they do. So, in essence, the court legalized this type of activity. Now, I, I certainly, you know, everybody will say, well, I don't care, it was the mafia guy, it was a mobster that got it. Yeah, but what happens, you'll be like Martin Niemöller who says, they came for the communists and I didn't do anything, and then they came for the Jews and I didn't do anything, and they came for the trade unionsmen and I didn't do anything, and then they came for me and there wasn't anybody to help me. Think about that. The FBI has an inter... Okay, hold on a minute, let me back up. Documents describe the collaboration between Microsoft and the FBI as that agency did not want the Outlook features to interfere to interfere with its surveillance habits. Now, the FBI's Intercept Technology Unit is working with Microsoft to understand an additional feature in Outlook.com which allows users to create email aliases. Remember, you could be Bobby Joe at Outlook.com and you could say you're the Red Rider at Outlook.com and they couldn't track that. They understand that this feature may inhibit them. Steps are being taken at that time to mitigate that problem. And in August of 2012, the PRISM collection data was officially expanded to include the FBI and the CIA. The FBI and the CIA. Get that? That note, maybe it was the government right there. I don't know who that was. We'll just let it go. Yeah, yeah, they may be downstairs right now waiting on us. The NSA also carries out what it calls computer network exploitation. Let me pull this up. Computer network exploitation. They place malware in individual computers to survey their users. They place malware in individual computers to surveil their users. Okay? This Tailored Access Operations Division is responsible for this work. In fact, it is the agency's own private hacker unit. Now, what they'll do, and they've done it, they, they, they log in to private computers and they insert malware that can track everything you're doing and you won't catch them. Norton won't catch them. Uh, none, of the, uh, none of the virus programs will catch it because they're not allowed to. Okay? Now, one of the things you'll find out that they did do, um, when if, let's say, a company in uh, Belgium, I just use Belgium as an example. Let's say some, a company in Belgium ordered from um, uh, Hewlett-Packard a set of servers and routers, things, and then they ordered from Dell a bunch of, of computers, standalone computers, and they had them shipped to somewhere in Belgium. Well, the NSA through and the FBI, through this group that does this, they go to the warehouse where this stuff is, is taken, they open all the packages, they open up all the computers, they open up all the routers, and they insert software in there that will track everything that they're doing and all the network, and it will feed back to them. When they take these things out and hook them up, they'll feed them back to them, 
And they'll have all the information about wherever those networks, computers, and everything touch. After they've done that, they have equipment that makes that'll seal everything back up just like it was a factory factory new. You won't know that they did that. And that's what they do. They do that all the time. Now, how much they do it to personal computers here in the United States, I don't know. You know, there's 330 million, 340 million people in the United States. It would be paranoid to think that they're they're after you. It's not paranoid to know that they could be at, that that they can do this stuff, so that you're aware of it, and then and then you can pray about this. Uh, your actions can you can take actions to mitigate your footprint. You can do some things, but you can't stop it. Now, that's important to understand. What have I done uh, with the knowledge that I've gained through all of this? I got off of Facebook immediately when I found out what Facebook had done. We, we haven't talked necessarily about them yet. But when I found out what Facebook was doing, and uh, they're, they're probably the single worst offender of all of this stuff, when I found out what they were doing, I got off of all social media. I'm not on social media. I don't need to be. And I, only, I use my phone to make a few phone calls, and I watch uh, uh, movies and videos on it. Uh, but I don't send anything encrypted. I don't do anything like that. I'm just saying I'm aware that these things are going on, and I want you to be aware of it. So that we and we will eventually, uh, in in the next couple of sessions, we'll explore scriptures that tell us how to deal with this. But we've got a few more few more things to learn here. Um, the the British version of this has conducted mass interception of communications data from underworld from from the underworld from the underwater fiber optic cables uh, they consequently give access to us and you find out that the Brits and the Americans are doing this in conjunction with each other and so they swap information that they might have that the other guy doesn't have and so forth and they make it available to them now one of the things that's very interesting um, and this is when lawyers get involved. Whenever you get a bunch of lawyers involved, you need to be aware that there's there may be some issues going on. Uh, one of the things, and the best way to describe this, and I'm trying to think of how to explain it, uh, let's just say you have a building here. Uh, in fact, I'll use the mouse on my phone. Let's just say that um, Yahoo stores your information in this right here, this building right here. And they send it to a router over here to transfer the information. Well, they do that wirelessly, and it's in their own building. Now, the NSA will tell you they're not collecting, they are not going into Yahoo and collecting your personal data. How do they get it then? Well, when it sends it from here to here, they intercept that wireless signal. And therefore, they can say, I didn't break into the building or anything. I just select. But they're in the buildings collecting the wireless data. That's how, and you get attorneys involved. And when you, if you read the book and you read what attorneys say, you, you scratch your head and say, my, I don't ever want to be involved with these people. Okay? Um, now, when the NSA revelations first came out, the U.S. government tried to defend its action by saying, unlike foreign nationals, American citizens are protected from warrantless NSA surveillance. 
Then on June 18, 2013, Obama told Charlie Rose, what I can say unequivocally is that you as a U.S. person, not the NSA, cannot listen to your phone calls by law and by rule. And unless they go to a court to obtain a warrant and seek probable cause the same way it's always been. That's a lie. That's a bald-faced lie. Because they, they are doing it. They don't need the court. And if they go to FISA and ask for it, they'll give it to them anyway. They don't have to have a reason. The GOP chairman at that time of the House Intelligence Committee, Mike Rogers, similarly told CNN that the NSA is not listening to America's phone calls. If it did, it's illegal. It's breaking the law. Well, sure it is, and they know it is. This is why it's not Republican or Democrat, because you got both of them lying to you. Here's the GOP lying. The Democrats are lying. So you got the whole government situation. You don't know who to believe. That's Knowing this kind of information makes a lot of the government information about COVID suspect because we don't know what the, we, we don't have a clue. And then when the media gets involved, as we've studied earlier, when the media gets involved, they have their own agenda. You don't know what's true and what's not true. John, in the Gospel of John, Jesus said the truth will set you free. So rather than getting upset about this stuff, we need to go to the Lord and find out what it is that He wants us to do. And the very interesting thing is, if you go to John chapter 16, He tells His disciples what the Holy Spirit will do. He will reveal to you the things to come. And you go to 1 John, you'll read in there that you have an anointing and you don't have anyone need to teach you anything. you got the Holy Spirit in there. So, going back to one of my favorite statements by D.L. Moody, uh, the world has never seen what, man, what God can do with a man or woman that truly trusts Him. So, I'm just saying we don't need to worry about these things, but we do need to keep in touch with the Lord, the Holy Spirit, to find out how He wants us to deal with them. Now, um, we'll go on to the next one. Aside from being a strange strategy, the claim is false. It's a patent lie. Contrary to repeated denials of President Obama and his top officials, the NSA continuously intercepts the communications of American citizens without any individual probable cause warrants to justify the surveillance. They do it all the time. So the president knows that, the GOP chairman knows that, but they lie to us anyway. As Jamil Jennifer, the deputy legal director of the ACL, ACLU explains, again, strange bedfellows, uh, explains the government often says that this surveillance of American communication is incidental, which makes it sound like the NSA is inadvertent. It's not. But when the Bush administration officials asked Congress for this new surveillance power, they said quite explicitly that American communications were the most interesting to them. So President Bush did it. He's a Republican. And we liked him as a Republican. I thought he was, a, you know, but find out that he didn't do it. And you can bet Trump was in on it too, as was Obama. Uh, not sure about Biden. Now, we'll go on. We've just got a couple more sheets here to look at. 
The principal pur purpose of this 2008 law was to make it possible for the government to collect American international communications and to collect those communications without reference to whether any party was doing anything legal. That's what the law did in 2008. Doesn't matter if you're legal, illegal or not, they got your communications. Now, the court was set up not as a genuine check on government power, but as a cosmetic measure providing the appearance of reforms to placate public anger over the surveillance abuses. So, it's not even a band-aid. It just a, it, the FISA court is not a band-aid. It's just a package of band-aids that they set to the side and say, we're going to put this on, the, on your severed arm because uh, it will stop the bleeding. Well, you can figure that out. That's not working. Further discrediting Obama's, Obama's assurances is, is the posture of the FISA court, which grants every surveillance request the NSA submits. Only two in one year that, that, did they refuse. And I'm sure the NSA went ahead and did it anyway. Uh, I'm, the FISA court wouldn't stop them from doing anything. Now, we go on. The critics of the, the, critics of the NSA's bulk collection process have never been worried about congressional inaction. They've expected Congress to produce something that looks like reform, but codified the excess practices. So in other words, Congress comes up, as they always do, they obfuscate, they lie, uh, they come up and they say, oh, we're going to stop that. And so they come up with, you know, like the, like the wizard behind the, behind the curtain. Oh, don't look at me. Just, and he's moving all these levers and stuff. It makes it look like they're doing something. When in reality, they tell you they're going north, they're actually going south. And they do it on purpose. Okay? Now, for all the government denials, the NSA has no substantial constituents or no, no substantial constraints on what it does. It's a rogue agency empowered to do whatever it does with little control. Now, Diane Feinstein you're familiar with her, has explicitly argued in U.S. Today that the metadata collection of Americans' telephone records is not surveillance at all because it doesn't collect the content. Well, unfortunately for Diane and anybody that knows anything about it, let me give you this example here of what metadata can do from a phone call. Consider this example. A young woman calls her gynecologist, then immediately calls her mother, then a man who during the past few months she's repeatedly spoken to on the telephone after 11 o'clock at night, followed by a call to a family planning center that also offers abortions. A likely storyline emerges that would not be evident by examining the record of a single phone call. That's what, the, that's what this type of communications can do. Obama and his top officials for years vehemently denied denounced China for using its surveillance capabilities for economic advantage while the United States was doing the exact same thing. Now, the NSA spies for economic advantage all along. Um, it doesn't need any specific rationale or uh, to invade people's private communications. Uh, in June report, the head of nurses' access and target development is completely shocking. In other words... They can get in to anything that they want 
with impunity. And they found that out. And there's documents in there that they did not release that would point this out. So um, let me go back to you and say, this, this is kind of a hurried, last two sessions that we've had are kind of hurried. Uh, and they speak about a lot of things that may be confusing or you may have lost, you know, gone and got another cup of coffee on. That's fine. But you need to understand that this is going on and that the things that I relied on my entire life, I relied on the government. I believed what they said. I, you know, and I thought one party was good and one party was bad. Turns out you can't trust either party. I, I wish I could tell you otherwise, but you can't. And, the, and, and as we dig into scriptures, uh, when you when you read scriptures and people go to Romans 13 and they'll say that we're to obey the government laws, well, one of the great defenses that the Nazis used in Nuremberg was what we did was legal because it was lawful. Well, that didn't fly for the for the Nazis in in, uh, in Nuremberg, and it shouldn't fly for our people today. Just because something's legal doesn't mean it's right. And I, I refer you to abortion. And um, uh, I go back to another one, ma ma mask and, and vaccine mandates. They're not constitutional. Well, I know people say they are, but when you sit down and, and just read the Constitution, you can understand that this government that we can't trust with our private communications and that they've lied to us about that is telling us other things that what they say is in question. Let me close with prayer. And I thank you for staying with me through a couple of uh, very difficult things. Father, I thank you so much. And I pray that the information given in the last two sessions communicates what needs to be communicated. Uh, we pray there's no fear involved. There's no paranoia involved. And we ask you, Father, for your wisdom and guidance in this, in Jesus' name. Thank you, and see you next time.